at least one person hit it real good. Uh, and we had some fun last week with the curveball and everything, a little visual illusion and everything that we saw. The knuckleball, it's a little harder to have fun with, to be honest with you, because that's not what the knuckleball is about. I mean, the knuckleball itself is crazy enough. Uh, but when you apply that to life, that place in life where you're dealing with a knuckleball, oh my goodness. Uh, there's just not a whole lot of fun about it. But you know what? There's some business you can get done when you're dealing with it. Some serious business you can get done. And, and hopefully that's what we're going to do today. And let me also just say before I get into this, those of you who committed to go through the New Testament this year, now some of you committed to go through the whole Bible. Great. But those who committed to go through the New Testament, and maybe you're already a little behind. I mean, we're, all, we're, we're over two weeks into the year, and so that it's easy to get uh, behind in that length of time. Matthew chapter 15, verse 20. You get that far today, you're caught up. That's all you have to do. Uh, so, so what if you miss kickoff? You know, you get caught up. That's the important thing. So I want to encourage you to do that, and you'll see in the sermon why it's, one of the, why it's important to do that. Would you stand with me? We're going to read a, a brief passage of Scripture from the end of Matthew chapter 7. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Father, I thank you that your word has authority. And I thank you, Father, for the presence of the Holy Spirit in this place today. I pray that you would anoint what I say, that you would anoint what all of us hear. I pray, Lord, that you would anoint our hearts. We purpose right now, Father, to make our hearts soft to the word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The fastball is a daily occurrence for us in our life. It's just bam, 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 bam. Seems like all the time. Uh, the curveball comes on occasion. It um, Sometimes you'll get several curves thrown at you in one week. You know, and then you might not have any for a month or two. So, But it, it, it comes on occasion, but somewhat frequently. The knuckleball rarely comes in our life. And it's a good thing, because when it comes, it can often come with devastating effect. When it comes. And it may look good on the surface. Um, the knuckleball of life are those times when impossible things seem to happen. You win the lottery. I know that none of you play the lottery, because you're all smarter than that. But... Let's just assume that some of you did, and you won it. You do realize that a lot of people, maybe even the majority of people who win the lottery, end up worse off after they won it than they were before they won it. 
And the reasons for that make perfect sense because having never had all this money, one of the things that they think is that money might make them happy. Or they sure would love to give it a good try. And in doing that, they often burn a lot of bridges of the things that really were the foundational things in their life. And then they blow through it and they look back a couple of years later and they don't have any money and they're not happy and they don't have those foundational things anymore either. So winning the lottery, if you win it, give it all the church. We'll give it away. (laughs) Then you won't have to pay taxes on it. Uh, Secondly, uh, becoming famous. How many of you are famous? Just, just one, only Vonda. The only one who raised your hand that I saw. But you know what? You're right, because you're a school teacher. And when people see you in public, they go, oh, that's, that's Miss Coble. She buys groceries. <laughs> Wonder what else she does that other people do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you, you know, a lot of times we, some people might tend to think being famous would be so cool because everybody wants to talk to you and everybody wants to give stuff to you and they want to give you the best seats at places and things like that. Uh, it can also be quite a drag. Uh, it, your life is not your own anymore. Just ask Vonda. <laughs> yeah. Um, Sometimes they don't even pretend to look good. Um, unexpected divorce. Didn't see that coming at all. And now here it is. Untimely death. It's, you don't get over it in a day. Don't get over it in a week. And I, I should have mentioned this earlier, uh, but that, that, that does remind me like it did in the first service. A lot of, some of you, not, not all of you by any means, but a few of you would, would know, uh, Bill Pollard and used to attend here and got very sick and went to, uh, California to be with, so his sister could take care of him. Uh, he went home to be with the Lord last night. He's not in pain anymore. Uh, and, uh, I, I don't know what, he's actually in Little Rock with his other sister when it happened, so, I don't know what the um, uh, the plans are, but if any of you are interested, probably by Monday or Tuesday we'll know here at the church. You can call and uh, find that out. But uh, um, yeah, disaster when disaster comes on. Last last spring we had we had a pretty good little flood here hit our part of the country. Uh, fortunately, here in the church, we only had a couple of families involved in having any damage uh, with water and insurance and uh, government assistance and things helped out and pretty much covered all that. But you know, most of the places in the world where people get hit with disaster, they don't have any insurance. They don't have any government assistance. Typhoon comes, they had a house yesterday, they don't have a house anymore. They had a family a few hours ago. Mudslide happens. They don't have a family anymore. You don't get over these things quickly. The knuckleball takes a little, little longer to get to the plate than, than most other things. And it's totally unpredictable. That's why that, the catcher's mitt's so huge. 
for a knuckleball. That's, that's about twice the size of a regular catcher's mitt. Uh, and, and really, when you, when you talk about catching the knuckleball, that's really something of a misnomer because you don't usually actually catch it very well. Uh, for those of you who are not familiar with it, it's, uh, it's, you, you, you don't actually grip it with the knuckles, but you do grip it with, uh, with, uh, the fingertips. And the idea is to push the ball so that it doesn't rotate any and it just kind of floats up to the plate and does goofy things. And I thought I would start off giving you a few quotes of, uh, some people who know a little bit about the knuckleball. Ron, uh, Luciano is, a uh, a major league umpire and he calls it the perfect pitch. And the reason he calls it the perfect pitch is, he's, is this. He said, like some cult religion that barely survives, there's always been at least one, but rarely more than five or six devotees throwing the knuckleball in the big leagues. Not only can't pitchers control it, hitters can't hit it, catchers can't catch it, coaches can't coach it, and most pitchers, most pitchers can't learn it. It is the perfect pitch. Uh, this guy's a all-star catcher. Was uh, I, Does he still play? Veritek still play for the... For the Red Sox? No? Boy, we just got a boatload of Red Sox fans in here, don't we? <laughs> anyway, we don't know if he's playing or if he's alive or anything, but there, there, there's his picture and that's his name. Uh, and this is what he says about catching the knuckleball. Catching the knuckleball is like trying to catch a fly with a chopstick. And, and if you're going to talk about catching a fly with a chopstick, you have to Give homage to Mr. Miyagi, for sure. <laughs> How many of you are old enough to remember Willie Stargell? Yeah, yeah. Pops, uh, Hall of Famer with Pittsburgh. He, he has a, a quote uh, about the knuckleball that is, people are fond of quoting. Throwing the knuckleball for a strike is like throwing a butterfly with hiccups across the street into your neighbor's mailbox. <laughs> Yeah. And you got to be really old to remember Dick Allen and, and had been a baseball fan, but uh, Dick Allen played for just about every team in baseball and was an all-star at times. And what he says is instructive. I never worry about hitting it. I just take my three swings and go sit on the bench. I'm afraid if I ever think about hitting it, I'll mess up my swing for life. And it's true. If you go through life worried about the knuckleball, then your life's already messed up. It will already do that to you. Uh, of course, you got to have a quote from Bob Euchre. Uh, when asked the best way to catch the knuckleball, he said, wait till it stops rolling and go pick it up. Yeah. And then uh, one more, it's instructive as well. Most of you know Joe Torre as a, as a, as a, as a manager, but I, I remember him as a, as a really great baseball player and, and, uh, and a good catcher. And his comment was, you don't catch a knuckleball, you defend against it. And oftentimes that's the way we deal with it in life. You don't catch it, you don't hit it, you just, you just try to endure it and defend against it. Uh, did Jesus ever face the knuckleball? Well, yeah, he did. And as I was looking over, over his ministry and over the things that we know about him, you know, he, he certainly had a lot of curveballs come his way. But, uh, but there were two times that I saw that I thought, ah, this looks like a knuckleball. One of them is a knuckleball. One of them kind of looks like a knuckleball. And it's at the very beginning of his ministry. And that was when, uh, 
That was when the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights to fast. Well, that kind of sounds like something the Holy Spirit would do. But the reason that he did it was so he could be tempted by the devil. And that doesn't sound like the sort of thing that the Holy Spirit would be doing with you. But yet, that was what... That was what he did with Jesus at the time. So, you know, if your theology says anything God does for me, I got to feel good about, then your theology's wrong. Because sometimes what God is doing with us and in us, we don't feel too good about it at the time. And yet, it's him. It's him working with us. The time that he definitely face the knuckleball. In fact, probably the biggest knuckleball that anybody's ever faced at all would be on Passion Week at the end of his ministry. So it, it, it sort of bookends. It's kind of like there's a little setup here and then at the end of it, here's the big one. Here's, here's the one really moving around. And there are five things that I, that I looked at that I feel like in this week would be Something that would be the knuckleball if it, if it came along in our lives. And they, all, and they all happened to Jesus in this week. And the first, one, the first one was the crowd started out hailing him as the son of David and shouting Hosanna, but by the end of the week they were crying crucify him. And we all know that. Uh, Jesus had experienced the fickleness of the crowd before when he fed the 5,000, which is one of the few events that is recorded in all four Gospels. Over in John's Gospel, it tells us what happened the next day. He fed the 5,000. The next day, they went and found him. And they, and they, they said, wow, that, that was really great. We're, we're starting to think you might be the son of God. Could you feed us again? And uh, Jesus said, sure, I can. I can give you something even better than what you had yesterday. Great. He said, me. Moses fed you manna in the wilderness, and you died. But the bread that I give, the bread that comes down from heaven, you eat of it and you never die. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood will live and not die. And the people, upon hearing this, all decided, eh, maybe he's not the son of God. Maybe he's not who we want to follow. And they all deserted him and they all left him to the point where Jesus actually turned to the twelve and went, are you, are you going to leave too? Uh, you ever you ever had a situation in life where you thought you had it pretty much together and you're kind of riding the crest and <laughs> only to discover that pfft, no you're not uh no that was one of the things another thing that happened to him that week was one of his 12 best friends betrayed him one of the 12 who were closest to him betrayed him have you ever been betrayed Sometimes people uh, get betrayed in business. Maybe you go in business with somebody or somebody makes a deal with you and they don't end up following through and there's a loophole and somehow and the next thing you know, you're, you're in financial ruins and they're just going right on. That, that's probably happened to somebody here. Or maybe they talk you into investing in something and, and you invest in it. You might even put a whole lot into it. Uh, sometimes people put everything they have and only to discover that it, it wasn't real. It was just a sham. That's happened to a lot of people. But betrayal can hurt. But betrayal can, can sting for a, for a very long, long time. And friendship. You ever had a friend betray you? You ever had a friend that 
you thought had, had your back, and they did, but they had a knife in it. And that can lead to the trap of unforgiveness that you then live in. Loss of social standing because some friend turned on you. By the end of the week, he had also had one of his three closest friends deny him. Betrayal by a close friend is not as hurtful as denial by the closest friend. It really isn't. You get right down to it. In a marriage, let's say, uh, I don't know, your husband or your wife, either one. And these, these days you don't really know how it's going down. But let's say one of them uh, is off somewhere and they don't think you're going to be there. And you all at the last minute it works out you can be there. And you show up and the wedding ring's off. And they're kind of talking like maybe they aren't married. How'd that feel? That's denial. And maybe some of you have been through it. And if you have been through it, and you're on the other side of it, and the marriage is still intact, and the love is still there, you just, the grace of God. That's the only thing that can put you there. The only thing whatsoever. So, the crowd, the betrayal, the denial... By the end of the week, he was, he was falsely arrested and falsely accused and executed. You ever been arrested? Now, somebody here has been arrested. I know that they have. And, you know, I've never actually been put in jail myself, but I've been to see people who just got there, and I've been to see people who've been there, and it's just not a fun place at all. Rightly arrested is bad enough. Falsely arrested. Mm. That's what happened to him. And it happens more than you think. A false accusation can absolutely wreak havoc on your life. And some people here have probably dealt with false accusations against them. Maybe accusations they weren't able to to clear up. Uh, Falsely arrested is one thing, and falsely accused is one thing. Falsely convicted is the ultimate, especially in in the death case. And that's happened. So that happened to Jesus. But you know what? That's not the low point. That wasn't the worst part of this. The worst part is by the end of the week, he had even felt like God had deserted him. Have you you ever been to that place in your life where you honestly felt like God had turned his back on you? He wasn't there anymore. You know, it's one thing to have friends turn their back on you. It's one thing to have close friends turn their back on you. But when you feel like God has turned his back on you, the one who said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. There's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. When you feel like he's gone, that just goes to your very core. I mean, that's so deep inside. And that's what, that was Jesus' knuckleball. That was when it, that was, that was the week that it happened to him big, big time. So how did Jesus handle it? How, how do you handle 
the knuckleball when it comes around. You know, you can, you can kick and scream and plan and wail and do all of those things, but I only know one way to truly handle the knuckleball. Just one. And it was what Jesus used. And that was the word. That's it. Without that, you're not going to handle it. It, it, it. You can take your three swings and go back and sit on the bench. When he was tempted by the devil in the wilderness, I mean, he parried each thrust, each, each thing that uh, by an accurate handling of the word, man does not live by bread alone. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. You shall worship the Lord your God and him only. Bam, bam, bam. That was a pretty easy one. But now he gets to this, he gets to the, gets to the big one. You know, sometimes the knuckleball comes up and it just kind of does this. Sometimes it comes up and it's just crazy. And so he gets to the crazy part. And how does he handle it? Well, the crowd. How, how would he handle that? One of Jesus's favorite um, prophets to quote was Isaiah. He, he quoted him a lot in Scripture. And one of the things that he had just quoted a little earlier was, these people come near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. He knew. He knew. Yeah, they're shouting, Hosanna. Yeah, they're going, we give our lives to you. Uh, Yeah, they're going, Lord, use me. Do anything with me. But he knew they didn't mean it. He knew. Deep in their hearts. And he also knew from Isaiah 53.3, he was despised and rejected by men. They, they may think they love me, they just haven't found out yet. They're going to despise and reject me. He was ready for it. It wasn't like, nah, you, you, you phony hypocrites. No, he wept over them. I mean, when he was going in Jerusalem, it wasn't like, oh, you know, all of these hypocrites are going to just come out. No, he wept. How often would I have gathered you together to hend us or brood, but you would not. Now your house is left to you desolate because you did not recognize the day of your visitation. He said that before he went down and they all shouted Hosanna. He knew what was coming. Well, the betrayal. Knowing that that Judas was going to betray him. Did, did Did he know that? Well, yeah. In fact, he even... Quoted Psalm 41, 9. He who shared his bread has lifted up his heel against me. He told the disciples when he said, one of you is going to betray me. He said, this is to fulfill the scripture. And so when it came to Judas, he was ready. It wasn't like, it it, it wasn't like, oh, you're the one, are you? No. No, his heart was broken for him. It would have been better for you if you had never been born. You know what? Judas could have been saved. Could have been. (laughs) But after doing what he did, he couldn't find the grace in his own heart to come to repentance, come to belief. So Jesus' heart was prepared for that. Well, what about the, the denial? And and as I was looking through Scripture, trying to go, okay, well, where's the, where is the prophecy about denial? I don't see it there. But I do know this, and Jesus knew this as well. Peter wasn't the first one to do something like this. 
Abraham denied Sarah. They they went into Egypt, and he said, when we go down there, I'm going to say, you're not my wife. Because you're so pretty, these guys are going to probably try to kill me to get you. So I'm just going to, I'm not going to, I'm going to not let them know that we're married and you're going to agree with me. Okay. That was, that was denying. Yeah. Take the ring off. Isaac did the same thing with Rebecca. And so Jesus was aware that this kind of thing can happen sometimes with people. Hebrews 4.15 tells us that we have a high priest who's able to sympathize with our weakness. He's been tempted in every way just as we are. Now, he didn't fall on any of the points. He was without sin. But he knows what we go through. And he could look at, and that's why he could look at Peter and not go, Peter, don't you understand who I am? Why are you denying me? But he could look at Peter and go, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. And I'm, and I'm praying for you. Because you're going to be restored. Just let me tell you that. And then you're going to encourage your brothers. Jesus was ready. He, he was hitting this thing. He was knocking it out because he understood. Understood the word. The arrest. The, the trial. The, the conviction that he had. Well, what about that? Once again, he knew Isaiah. He knew what was going to happen. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. This is what God has for me. Really? Yeah, really. Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. But not my will. Yours be done. This is what God had for him. And because he was Jesus and not us, because he was the word, because he knew where this was going, he could even go there and let this happen to him. And then when he felt deserted on the cross, my God, my God, what have you, why have you forsaken me? He's even, even then he's quoting scripture. Psalm 22, 1. I, now, Psalm 22 is, is, is a lot about the crucifixion. In fact, about the first half of the psalm, there's just all kinds of stuff there that sounds very much like a crucifixion. You know, uh, uh, my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. Raging bulls are surrounding me. And, and it, it just, just read it. I, for years... I would avoid Psalm 22. I'd read the first verse and go, oh, it's that one. And then go to the next one. Or Psalm 23 is much better. Yeah. But Jesus knew the whole thing. And he knew that the psalm doesn't end up at the cross. It doesn't end up stuck there. When you get about halfway through the psalm, that thing kicks into gear. It really does. And, and, and it ends by saying, he has not despised or disdained the suffering of his afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but he has heard his cry for help. You only feel like he's deserted you, but he's actually there. Prosperity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, for he has done it. And because Jesus knew that, because he was grounded in that, then the, the writer of Hebrews could say, for the joy that was set before him. 
he endured the cross. He despised the shame. See, the word is what got him through. Now, you may be going, well, <laughs> yeah, but all these verses were about him. I don't know that they wrote any verses about me. Yes, they did. God has got verses for you. He absolutely does. You just need to go find them. I mean, seriously, uh, God has a word for you. You may go, well, what is the word? I don't know. It's for you. And as, and as you read through the, as you read through the scriptures, there'll be, there'll be things there sometimes that'll just boom, just jump right out at you and sink right in the bottom of your, honey, that's your verse. That is yours. One of the verses that I often hear uh, quoted, hear people say, uh, well, you know, this is God's promise, and, but they're saying it generically, and it's wrong because they're saying it generically. It's over in Acts where, um, in the Philippian jail, when the earthquake happens, Paul and Silas are singing songs at midnight, and the earthquake happens, and, and, uh, and the jailer is going to kill himself, but Paul says, no, we're here, don't do yourself any harm, and he goes, well, I, I better get saved, what do I need to do? And, and Paul says, well, you need to believe in Jesus Christ, and you need to be baptized, and you'll be saved, you and your whole household. And I hear, you know, and sometimes I hear people say, well, the word promises that my whole household will be saved. It, it promises that if, if, if it's your verse. I mean, that's not really, that's not really a generic promise, but I've known people who've read through there and read that verse and it's just gone boom, right in their hearts. And they've gone, that's mine. And they've held on to it and they've walked with it and God has fulfilled it. And some of you are probably in the, in the process right now of walking, holding on to it, waiting for him to fulfill it. He will fulfill it. If he gave it to you, it's yours. Really is. As you're reading along in, uh, in um, uh, Malachi, and I know all of you read Malachi frequently, uh, where it says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse and see if I won't throw open the windows of heaven and pour out more blessing than you're able to contain. Now that is a generic verse, that is a generic promise, but some of you, God has specifically brought that one home to you and it's yours. And there is absolutely nothing that the enemy can do to tear that thing away from you. I mean, if financial ruin starts coming, financial ruin is temporary. God's word is permanent. And that's just the way you feel about it because it's yours. You own it. The reason that we read the verse, the verses that we read in the beginning were for this part. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, everyone who hears his word and owns it, it's like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. That's the knuckleball. Storms coming, the, the, the water beating against it, that's what that is. That's, when that, that's, when, that's the knuckleball breaking loose in life. And Jesus says, if you've heard my word and you own it, then your house is on the rock. Back, I don't even know how long ago it was. It was uh, probably 25 years, maybe even longer. Huh? Uh, oh, I don't stretch it. Uh, 
when Bruce Coble was the youth pastor at the Lord's Chapel, and, uh, and Margaret and I were working with him, Wayne was working with him too, uh, there was a sermon that he preached one time on this verse, and everyone who was there remembers it. I'm hoping Bruce remembers it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Everyone who was there remembers it. Uh, but, but because, I, you know, Bruce, Bruce just had this way of, of things. And, he, and, he, uh, and, and there's one thing I don't remember. I don't remember who was doing the yelling. I don't know if it was the devil or if it was God or who it was. Doesn't much matter. But he was saying, you know, you're, you're in a situation and, 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 and the water's coming against you. And it just seems like the more the water comes against you, the more you hear somebody out there yelling, more water. Bring more water to flow, you know, and then more water, bring more. And Bruce probably said that 50 times so that anybody who was there now looks at each other and go, <laughs> yeah, more water. <laughs> Sometimes that's exactly how it is. And the promise is the only way I know to stand during that time to be grounded in the word. Have the word in your heart. Not go running off for somebody to give you a word. God has given you a word. He's given you a whole, and he's got a fresh one for you today. He'll have another fresh one for you tomorrow. And then there'll be times, there'll be some points in your life where you'll have one that just really, boom, becomes the bedrock of your life that you build on. At this point in time, there probably are a few people here who are seriously going through some knuckleball stuff right now. Because it rarely happens. There may not be, you know, dozens, but there, there are some. What there are more of, however, are people who went through a knuckleball at some point in time, and it was a long time ago, but they're still not through it. It's, it didn't get dealt with. There's still that ball and chain that's kind of dragging their life down as they're, as they're trying to walk along like, I'm free in the Lord. I'm free. Yeah. No, you're not. God wants to snap that thing. And He will. I mean, His Word's the only way to do it. Prayer can help. Would you stand with me? Those who are going to minister to people and pray with people, come forward. And with anyone who needs needs prayer, come. You, you may you may be going through some crazy stuff right now. You may the Holy Spirit may have quickened in you the fact that wait a minute, this isn't the way that I've wanted you to live, and you know it's not the way I wanted you to live, and the problem is back there. Let me break that thing. Well, if he, if he made you aware of that today, then this would probably be a good day to get it broken. Yeah. Uh, or you just may need prayer for something. I mean, it may just be a stupid old curveball or, or, you know, one of those silly fastballs. It is something that you need prayer for. Uh, you come. We'd like to pray with you. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, come. Say, well, what have, what have you said to make me want to come? Uh, you're talking about knuckleballs is hey they don't just come to christians they they come to everybody and if you don't have christ 
It'll lay you low. I don't, I don't beg people to come to Christ because I can't get them there. The Holy Spirit's the only one who can touch them. If the Holy Spirit is dealt in your heart and went, it, you, need, you need to know Christ. And you, need to, you need to do that today. You listen to him. You listen to him and come. We're going to worship for a few moments. Altars are open. Anything you need prayer for, you come. This is a this is the time when when Daddy hands out gifts, answers prayers. Very good. 
630. This is going to be a special one because we don't have any lights in that room. And so we're going to get there in, in, in the semi-darkness and we're going to drink coffee and worship Jesus and pray for each other and listen to the word together. And man, this is going to be so cool. I mean, if you ever want to be part of a tribe, this is, this is your chance. This Tuesday morning, 630. Raise your hand. Let me give you a blessing. God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who sent His Son into the world because we need Him. May He fill your life. May He commission you to be sent into the world because the world needs you to reveal Him. Not hide Him, but reveal Him in all you say and do through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.